yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. If they were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Well, the Champions Cup round of 16 is over and what a weekend we had. Leinster kicked things off with a comprehensive victory over Connacht, but there was plenty more drama on Saturday as Munster beat Exeter to qualify for the quarterfinals. And then on Saturday night in Ravenhill, Ulster just losing out to Toulouse in what was a really dramatic weekend of European rugby. Will Saturday here on the left wing. Delighted to have Luke Fitzgerald with me. We will be joined in just a minute by Jonathan Bradley of the Belfast Telegraph to look back on all the talking points from the weekend. But first, Luke, you know, watching all the rugby on Saturday in particular, it kind of struck me that I actually think I might prefer the Champions Cup on a big weekend to the Six Nations. That might be blasphemous. It might be a, a hot take from a shock jock. But uh, <laughs> I actually think I do. I don't know. There's something about the tournament when it's in full flow and the games are good that actually I enjoy a bit more than the Six Nations. Look, I, I, it's such a good competition. Like, it always was. I mean, it was such a difficult one to win as well. Uh, you know, it used to always be nine wins to, to or well, not always nine wins, but certainly, you know, eight or nine wins that, you know, required to, to get you over the line um, in, in the Heineken Cup. It was always a really difficult competition to win. Um, and it captured the imagination. I think maybe a couple of years, COVID probably didn't help. Um, it's it, it probably taken a bit of a backward step in people's minds, maybe. But, geez, I thought this weekend, I thought it was back to the forefront. So, so exciting. Uh, some brilliant fixtures, you know, over two legs that were, you know, pretty much just, you know, one point uh, between between teams over, um, you know, 160 minutes of rugby. Very, very, you know, very intriguing. And, and I think it'll bring a lot of people back in um, to the Heineken Cup kind of luster, maybe that little bit of. Um, you know, excitement that we always had, or that lo- that loads of excitement that we always have with this competition. Um, so I hope it does that. I think it has the potential to do that. And um, some of the fixtures were a little bit one sided in the end. Um, but what I do know about rugby is that, you know, I think even more so than than football, I think it that the home fixtures are so difficult to win. They, like there's something because it's so because you know the physicality in rugby is so key to the winning side like if the, the more physical team is generally the team that comes out on top going to a place and be you know trying to beat beat them when they're in front of their home crowds their family like it's very easy to be physical 
Do you know that in those kind of in those home games? Whereas if you think of football, you know, Liverpool are probably the only team. There's probably a few teams maybe that are really difficult at home. But if you're a better football team, generally it'll show um over a course of 90 minutes. And I think um rugby is a little bit more difficult to win away from home. And I think that's why I love the two fixtures home and away. Um so yeah, I think I hope that that's something that stays. I thought it was really exciting. I loved it. I I I felt feel the exact same as you. I think my love for the competition is, is definitely back. I'm intrigued to watch, uh, you know, the next three rounds and see who comes out on top. Oh, yeah. I wish we could just fast forward three weeks to the quarterfinal weekend already. I, it feels cruel to be, you know, after that big kind of blockbuster two weeks, have to wait so long for some, oh, like Leinster, Leicester and Munster to lose. Hoping that's a Saturday doubleheader because that's just going to be an absolutely cracking day of rugby. But first, we're going to discuss all the weekend's action. We're delighted to have Jonathan Bradley of the Belfast Telegraph with us. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. I suppose it has the kind of air of morning lifted up in Belfast now. I'd say it's been a t- tough couple of days for the players, for, for the coaches and for the supporters as well. No, I'm uh, looking at the window with some, some grey clouds that are over Belfast, which is a bit of a pathetic fallacy, I think, uh, after the weekend it was. Um, I mean, even in this sort of immediate aftermath of the game, you know, in the in the changing rooms, I think Dwayne Vermeulen spoke up and sort of said to the guys, you know, everyone's going to take a different amount of time to get over this. Some guys have got over it in a day, some will be a week, some will be a little bit longer. And I suppose that's him speaking from experience of sort of these types of knockout defeats because it is a relatively new um, experience, not for Ulster, obviously, as an organisation, but for a lot of these younger players that are, um, sort of being exposed to this level for the first time. So I wouldn't think that it's going to be a, a quick one to sort of process and flush from the system, you know? Yeah, Luke, what was your take on it? Obviously, you know, to be kind of in front for the majority of the 160 minutes and to concede a late try, you know, you had that red card with 15 minutes to go. It was at the intercept try in the first half when Ulster were, were very much in the ascendancy. You know, how do you kind of reflect on it? It was definitely a huge missed opportunity. They had it in their hands. I think in court, they'd call that a, a leading question, Will. Um, yeah, look, I think it was an opportunity missed, as you're kind of alluding to with your question. You know, I think um, they can be very proud of their efforts over two legs. I think um, that's a very, very uh, strong to lose team. I know they were a little bit weakened in, in leg one, and obviously they got the red card early. Um, but you can play only play what's in front of you, and I thought they played some lovely, lovely rugby over the two legs, scored some good tries. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they didn't get over the line at home. And like, I just still think, um, I'm still going to call it Ravenhill. Ravenhill to me is, it's, they're very tough to beat against. I, I think they would have, I think every, we all fancied them with a win. I think they were always going to be very difficult to turn over. Um, and look, I suppose they kept DuPont relatively quiet right up until the end. I mean, he's so good, isn't he? Like, he's just, a, he's an absolute disaster to try and contain over two legs. And look, I think he had the key. The key moment belongs to him, doesn't it? I suppose in, in a certain in, in a certain way. Um, but I think there's lots to build on. Um, but they do need to build on it. You know, I think Ulster have been that team for a while that have kind of been there or thereabouts, haven't got over the line. They've been in a final of a Heineken Cup, didn't get over the line against Leinster. Like that was a tough day at the office. That's a while ago now too. Um, you know, and they've been there or thereabouts in a few finals in the league as well. I just think. They need to take the next step. Um, whether it's this year, I don't know, but I feel like they're right there on the cusp with terms of the, in terms of the talent. I think some of the people they've brought in, I think, add value too. And I like the coaching setup. I do like, I mean, I do just like Dan McFarlane. I think he's good. Um, and uh, I think they're definitely going in the, right, in, in, in the right direction, despite the disappointing result on the weekend. 
Yeah, Jonathan, like, how do you assess where Ulster at? Like, you know, Don McFarland, I think he came in the 18-19 season, I think was his first one, if I'm not mistaken. And, like, from the outside looking in, I definitely think there has been progress. Like, I agree with Luke. You know, he's a very impressive speaker. He's surrounded himself with good coaches. There's good young players. They play good rugby. And yet, they're, like, they're... Yeah, I feel like they're still missing something or there's some maybe, I don't know if it's an intangible quality or maybe one or two marquee players. Like obviously Leinster have so many internationals in, in their squad. But, you know, what do you think they are missing to take that next step? I know there's still league, uh, you know, honours to play for, so it's not over this season either yet and they're still in second position there. But, you know, from what you've seen at the moment or, or what, what are your thoughts in that regard? Yeah, I think it's probably, it's a combination of all of the above, I would say. You know, you look at guys that have come through sort of in the last two years, three years or so to become guys from graduating through the academy, going through the fringes and then to be sort of the star players. Now the likes of Laurie, Balakun, Hume, even this season we've seen a guy like Marcus Ray play a lot, play really well. And that's really sort of bolstered the team from the bottom up. As you say, I think they probably do need a little bit more star quality in terms of NIQ. Obviously, they've got uh, Dwayne Vermeulen, who has been playing well. But, you know, you look at, I suppose, Sam Carter's their other NIQ, wasn't in the wasn't in the 23, doesn't really crack the 23 for these big games. So if you're looking at, you know, comparing it to Monster, do you Ulster have the level of NIQ the Monster have? And no, they don't. You, you mentioned Leinster. Leinster probably don't need that level of NIQ. And... It's a really important thing to get right, I think, um, in terms of your recruitment. I think if you miss the mark on that, it can have a really big detrimental effect. And then I would agree a lot with what Luke said there, just about pushing on. And you have to push on because you mentioned, you know, the Heineken Cup final of 2012. And back then, I think there was an idea that that team which was probably in a very similar position to this one in terms of the young players that were coming through at the time. There was just an assumption that it was going to happen for them, that eventually they were going to get to a place where they learned how to win these big games and then the trophies would just roll after that. And you can't assume that it's inevitable that it's going to happen because it didn't happen for that team. And that's why we're still sat here talking about 2006 as the team's last trophy. So I would look at this as a big missed opportunity. I would look back at the Leicester game in the Challenge Cup last season as a big, big missed opportunity. And it's a matter now of you can't be talking about having learned lessons from these things. You have to be showing that you've learned the lessons. And obviously that's going to come in the games ahead in the ERC and then next year in these big European games again. Yeah, so Luke, you know, obviously Jonathan touched on a couple of things, maybe in terms of recruitment, but for this season and bouncing back for for like the league, you know, what would your kind of thoughts be and how they regroup or how they make or learn the lesson in a very short period of time? Like they play Munster on Friday night in a big game that could go a long way to securing a good seeding. Like what would your kind of thoughts be on how they can, you know, finish off this season and not have to wait another year? Yeah, well, I think they kind of nearly secure. I know Glasgow are pretty close, but I think they kind of secure that second spot or come very close to it um, with the win against Munster. I think um, when I think about Ulster, I still think like there's probably two things when I when I think of Ulster. If I'm being completely honest, I, I think and some lovely touches. I mean, the crossfield kick burn like burns some lovely touches, and his short kicking game I think is really really good. I mean, it's it's a real strength of his game. 
I think that position is, is, you know, to get to the next level, I think there's a caliber of player you need to have there that's a, just a, just better than him, I think, or better than what they have currently. Um, I think they're missing one in the pack, and I think it's probably somewhere in the front five. You alluded to that second row slot alongside Henderson. Um, it could be that, but it could be a loose four, you know, so like one of the guys, like a loose head or, or a tight or some, some Rolls Royce player that I think adds to this team that takes them. I think though, if they get those two things right, I feel like there's enough young quality and players there to for this Ulster team to be a real force. I just believe that. I just think they've got the coaching staff. I, I do think they have that. Um, and I think they're just missing one or two pieces. And I think that's what takes this team to the next level. And I do think they've been a little bit unlucky with injuries over the last couple of years as well to key guys. I think they do need to get that right. They need Henderson on the pitch consistently. They need Stockdale back. They need Addison. Addison adds a lot to this team. Uh, and we haven't really talked enough about him. But I'd actually forgotten about him until you mentioned him there. Well, he's a such, such a good player, I think. And I think, you know, when you combine him with like the likes of Larry, Balakoon, Hume, I think is, I don't know what he has to do to get into the Irish team, but like he must be, he must be pretty close. Like he's playing brilliant and he's a great size of a guy. And I think him and, um, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, oh God, uh, McCluskey, apologies, sorry. McClus- him and McCluskey are such a nice combo and they're so physical and big and they're both got good hands and stuff. I feel like they're just missing one or two things, one in the pack. I'm just not 100% sure Burns uh, is the guy to get you across the line. Attempt. Larry could be that guy. I don't know if you have Addison back. But look, touching on, we've touched on the piece. I just did want to cover that little that thought on some of the guys that, that are to come back in and maybe just where the, what I think they need to get them to the next level. Um, in terms of the league, yeah, this is huge against Munster. Like they let them off the hook down in Tom and that 14 man win for like that. You can't do that. And I think it's probably. The pieces we talked, we covered the pieces bit. Sorry, I don't know why I'm hitting the wall in my house here, but I'm hitting it here to, to enforce the point. The pieces, I think, is one or two. The mindset they need, they just have a, they have a tiny rung, and it's the last rung of the ladder to get across. You need to get those tough wins in away, away fixtures and back up a big performance in another big one. Those two little things that I think they can do, they haven't done yet. This weekend goes a long way, I think, to, you know, if they can do, if they can get this win, put themselves in a great position in the league, they're in the mixture now. And, and, and then we can really judge them and, and say, look, have this, has this team come along? Has it made a stride this year? Is this the right coaches app? We can be kind of sure of those things. Um, I think once they're in, the, they're, they're in the kind of pole position and they get a few wins at the end of the season. Yeah, Jonathan, what about Billy Burns' point Luke made? Like, what's your view on him as a out half in terms of leading Ulster to the to the kind of promised land? And what, what is the general view of kind of people up there about whether he is the right guy? I would say he's almost certainly Ulster's most divisive player in terms of the fan base. I think he gets more criticism than an awful lot of other players and I think because of that he's sort of developed a relatively ardent fan base as well and I would put it almost as split down the middle and I guess I think a big part of that is the fact that he went Ulster on the front foot and when he's playing with confidence he does look like he can be that player and then he will have games when his confidence is dented and he's I suppose he's spoken in the past about the dip in his confidence that was caused by that sort of nightmare um, scenario that he had with Ireland in the in the Six Nations against Wales two seasons ago and how that impacted on him as a player. And, you know, Luke mentions the, the crossfield kick and you do see those glimpses where he can be that player. And 
where he looks like he could become that 10. And then he does go through passages where he just isn't the most consistent of players. But, you know, right now we're talking about what can get also to the level of, you know, not being one of the, say, six to 10 best teams in Europe, but being one of the top five teams in Europe. And you look at really the history of this competition and who's played 10 for the winners, you know, Entomac for Toulouse, Johnny Sexton for Leinster, Johnny Wilkinson for Toulon, uh, Matt Kiddo, I think, played 10 for Toulon in one of those years, and Farrell for Saracens. You know, you're you're really talking about world-class 10s at that level um, to get you into the mix to win this competition over the last... You know, that takes you right back, really, for the last 12, 13 years. So that's a long period where the teams that have really excelled in this competition have been... 100% nailed on certain in their 10. And just for those reasons, I think Billy Burns has to be much more consistent in what he shows to get to that level of trust and level of confidence. And in line with those two things, just to add to that point, Jonathan, I think my point on the pack, I think is probably, do you know what I mean? The, the two are correlated, aren't they? Like highly correlated. I mean, it makes it way easier. I mean, if you look at all those guys you've named, that Toulon pack, you know, with Gitto run, you know, he, he's not exactly Mr. Solid, but Jesus, can he run a game if you're on top? Like, he, is, there, is there a better guy to have on the ball more often than Matt Gitto in a game if you're on top in the pack? I probably don't think so, actually. Probably my favorite rugby player ever, actually. But I do think if you look at all the other guys, great packs, but very solid too. I think they can dig a pack out of a bad performance. And could Billy do that? Yes. I don't know. I think Ulster probably need him to be able to do that at this point. And I'm not sure he, he's the guy right now. If they get another few pieces in that pack, he could be. Because as you say, like with a good platform, like there's no doubting his, he's got quality. Like uh, No one's doubting that. I think it's probably just, do you have the guy to take you to the next level? Um, and I think there's a reason there's 50-50 split in the supporters because there's probably 50% of people thinking, mm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure he's the guy. So um, interesting to see if he, if he kicks on uh, and if he's able to bring this team to, to where I think Dan, Dan feels they can get to two. Jonathan, just before we wrap up on Ulster and move on to some of the other problems, it's kind of a bit of a kind of tangent or it's not strictly relevant to, to what happened at the weekend or anything, but you know, Luke was mentioning the injured players and Will Allison and obviously he's been a big loss. Like Somebody like Jacob Stockdale, you know, it must be in a very interesting place at the moment. You know, he played the first game of the season, got an injury and at first I don't think it was reported as a season ender it was a couple of weeks then he all just disappeared off the face of the earth never heard from him again then he was out for the season and in his absence obviously Ireland you know James Lowe other guys like that playing really well at Old Street and Balakoon Ethan McElroy the weekend playing really well and he was kind of in a tricky place form wise anyway like so for someone who was so good for so you know a couple of years and he's going to be coming back in a really interesting place, but we're the club first of all, I suppose. Like what's kind of your view on where he's at at the moment from someone who was obviously such a big star in Ireland a couple of years ago to now kind of having to rebuild his career a little bit. Yeah, because I think this felt coming into it that it was going to be a really important season for him. He'd obviously missed all of the six nations last year, bar that last game. And really since then, we've seen so much more from James Lowe. So in terms of, Ireland, there's a massive, massive battle there to get back into that 11 jersey that really he'd sort of made his own from not long after his debut at all. Like, you know, he didn't really have any sort of bump in the road from when he made his debut to really through to the end of 2018 when 
he was so instrumental in that Grand Slam. But you know, he's back. Uh, I believe he's back running now, as of uh, yesterday or today, in training. So that's sort of one milestone ticked off. But it's probably still, you're looking at next season. You know, really looking to get back right for preseason, so he can hit the ground running next season. And you know, you mentioned McIlroy there. McIlroy's had a good uh, a good season in that spot. Addison coming back creates a sort of interesting piece around Michael Laurie and where he plays as well, because that back three of Balakun, Laurie and McIlroy has been very settled. And it's easy to forget because Laurie's had such a good season. Like Laurie started the season outside of the team and wasn't playing an awful lot at all, even off the bench, because they were looking at him as a 10. He really only moved back into the back three because of the injury to Addison. So if those two guys come back and you have essentially the five players fighting for the three spots, it is going to be really interesting to see how that falls in selection because, you know, you, you mentioned forgetting <laughs> forgetting about Addison. And I think people have forgot about Stockdale as well. Like it's He's not really been talked about an awful lot this season in terms of his absence, which is a bit crazy when you think about it in terms of the fact that Really, he's one of Ulster's, or before he got injured, he was really one of Ulster's three test starters, you would say, in Henderson, Vermeulen, and Stockdale. They don't have anybody else that's a nailed-on test starter by any means. So he was at that level and that important to the team. And, you know, you talk about rebuilding the career and sort of, I think I would say more of a reset, if that, uh, you know, if that makes sense. And I think... Maybe even the time away and, you know, even all the things are going on in his personal life. You know, he's got married, he's expecting a kid. He'll probably come back, I would think, certainly a different person and probably looking to be not a different player, but a player that is back to that level that we saw him at in 2018. Because by the time that comes around, you know, that's going to be four years. That's, that's a long time. Yeah, it's one of the fascinating kind of storylines maybe following into next season. You say he's back running at least, which is a positive sign. Probably a bit too late for any games this season. It might move on to, to Leinster, Luke. Obviously, they kicked the weekend off on Good Friday against Connacht with a very comprehensive victory. There was maybe five or ten minutes where it looks like Connacht were, were coming to play, but then Leinster very quickly overpowered them. You know, how impressed were you with their performance? I'm really impressed. Look, I think 160 minutes was always going to be hard to con- to, like, to contain the better teams, and Leinster certainly are that uh, in terms of this competition. Definitely the top one or one, two or three, I would say, probably top two, really. Um, and I think um, I think they showed that. I mean, they had, you know, probably not even all the front liners, really. Most of them, I suppose, in the key positions, but they just the pack is just so impressive. Like, I just think it's so hard to contain them when everyone's playing that well, when the weather conditions support kind of good handling. The pitch is open for them. The whole pitch is open to them. And I think they're, you know, they're, they have so many threats across the pitch that they're just difficult to contain over the first couple of legs. I, I do think against the better opposition, I'd still like to see them a little bit stingier defensively. I think they can probably take that up a notch. They probably haven't needed to thus far. Um, but I still think they're just, I'd like to see them a bit more watertight, if you know what I mean. Um, I think the best teams in the competition generally are able to go to that place where you're not able to get any tries against them. And I think Leinster can do that um, and haven't to date yet. Now, haven't needed to either. Um, but they were very, very impressive, weren't they? I think um, 
you know, so many threats. I mean, Connacht would be very disappointed with some of the tries they let in. The pressure was on them, but I mean, the Bundy key one probably stands out on the line. I mean, against your opposition 12 for the Irish jersey, got to be sticking that tack. You know, there was a few moments like that that Connacht, I think, can look and say, geez, like, lack of concentration for, for a moment or lack of commitment in a key moment. And it really, you can't do that against a team like Leinster. So Leinster, great. Connacht still, ugh, journey to go on there. They just, they're disappointing because they play some great rugby at times. Yeah, Jonathan, what did you make of Andy Friend's comments after the game when he said, you know, he didn't think Leinster had better players per se, but he thought they maybe have better professionals. I, you know, that they, I don't know, they go about their business in a more... I don't know, professional way than his own players. And Jack Cardi was, you know, sitting beside him while he was speaking. It was an interesting kind of time to say it. If he wants to say it to his players behind closed doors, I suppose people might expect that. But to, to say it kind of right after the game in the media was an interesting one. Yeah, because you do sort of wonder if the way the Connacht season's gone and just some of the results that they've had, you know, that Glasgow game and the Edinburgh game and the Dragons one as well, where you just do sort of wonder if, Maybe this isn't the first time that he has said this and maybe airing it in public in that way that sort of raised everybody's eyebrows was sort of maybe not a last resort, but just a way to try and get a reaction from the players. Because it's obviously, you know, it has to be calculated in the sense that I don't think anybody believes that he really thinks that Conant's players are as good as Leinster's. I think that would be a stretch. Because at the end of the day, you're talking about a team that is 11 or 12 of Ireland starters. Like, quite simply, Connors players aren't as good as that. But I think to hear a coach pretty much target his own team's professionalism is not something that you hear very often. And it has to be designed to get a reaction. Do you think it reflects badly on him, Jonathan? I think that it has to reflect badly on the organization and he has to be viewed as really the most important person in the organization because at the end of the day, everything starts with the coach in terms of setting that agenda and setting the standards that are expected in the players. Now, obviously, there'll be senior players as well that are sort of expected to uh, to lead the way as well. But I like I, it was a really sort of eye-catching quote I thought even more eye-catching than his pre-match interview where he said Leinster were uh, maybe only human and you were just sat there thinking oh no don't say that like don't <laughs> rile them they're superhuman yeah. say that <laughs> to, be, to be fair Andy Fred he did like you know he referred to his own role in that you know when he said uh, we're, maybe we're not as good professionals he did refer to his own role as I obviously have to do a better job etc he wasn't just like the guy I missed that part sorry I was saw the headline I'm doing my job but like, look from a player's perspective like if that was you in a kind dressing room you know obviously you don't know what he specifically was referring to but for a coach to kind of say it so baldly that like you know my you know you know, the professions and piece of it, like, what would your reaction be? How would you feel like, you know, say that to me in the dressing room, not like in the media? I don't know. I think Jonathan probably made a good point. It sounds like it's not the first time that he's probably said that or alluded to the fact that they could be doing more before they get on the pitch or on the training pitch. Um, sorry, before they get on the training pitch. Sorry, I mean, thinking about the game, maybe their diet, maybe their whatever, however they're preparing, he must be referring to something, whether it's, you know, slackness around discipline in terms of, you know, are they on time for things? Are they all these little things, I think, build in a little bit of looseness if you're not 
you know, on time, prepared for training, doing the video work, getting the moves right on the pitch, you know, delivering every day in training. There's a certain standard you set in every single thing that you do that feeds into your performance on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, wherever it is you're playing. And I think, um, you know, you see it in the top teams. They they just don't make those kind of mistakes. And I think it shows up. If you look at those, you know, those performances that, that, that Jonathan was alluding to, like I think the Edinburgh one was, the, was, the, was is, is like I was at that one. Like they started off unbelievably well in that game, and then they just they fell apart. You know, they, their discipline, uh, you know, their their thinking on the pitch, their their defense, all those kind of things just fell apart. And it's happened to them on a number of occasions this year where they're in a strong position. And and I think when you when your head coach says something like that, you kind of end up thinking, but you know what? That I can kind of see parts of that on the pitch and how they play. Um, you know, in key moments. And, you know, if you don't have all those things off the pitch in place, it's hard to have belief in the big moments. And if you look at the big moments on Friday, Leinster had the belief and I think uh, Connacht didn't. They missed big tackles at big moments. They made mistakes at big moments. They didn't capitalize when they had opportunities. Um, and Leinster did all, all of those things. And, and, and I think maybe as well, what we're probably not getting at is you can't really be loose in Leinster because they'll just replace you. There's probably only two or three guys who who are not really replaceable in a Leinster setup. I think Leo Cullen's like, if you don't, if you're late for training, if you're not performing in weights, if you're not performing on the training pitch, you're gone. That's it. Whereas maybe in Connacht, there's probably a few guys who can, you know, you can get away with a few things like that and you can have a messy day in training and it doesn't impact selection on a Thursday or Friday. Um, so there is that in the, like Leinster do have that advantage where they have, you know, the, the, I suppose the weight of numbers and the weight of quality that they have, that if you do make those mistakes, I, I always felt like, I, go, I can only refer to my own experiences, but I thought Joe Schmidt was unbelievable at that. If you didn't train Monday, Tuesday, all those, you were gone from the team. And it creates this thing where it creates an urgency every single day and every action that you, that you do. And I'd, I'd assume Leinster are in that position now with, with uh, Cullen and Lancaster. Um, it's an urgency in everything you do, and it creates great accuracy and discipline in the big moments and belief. Um, so, yeah, maybe they don't have that, and maybe that's why there, there's a gap um, in terms of what he feels like is professionalism. Yeah, it's funny because when Jonathan, you know, I, I take your point, but when Jonathan mentioned that, like, you know, surely Andy Friend doesn't actually believe that his players are better than, like, given that the Leinster players make the bulk of the Irish team, like, that's what we're coming down to as well. Like, the Leinster squad is an international quality squad. Like, you know, a lot of teams they would they will play will make them look you know, less professional, quote-unquote, I would imagine, given you've seen some of the beatings they hand out sometimes. So, like, I kind of thought, like, even though, you know, obviously he's in the training ground, right? I thought the disparity in the, the, the talent of the squad as well has to come into maturity. But I think there has to be something missing with Connacht because, you know, I think back to that day in October when they absolutely thumped Ulster. And, like, that is hands down the most impressive performance that I've seen live this season and like I spent the last two weekends watching the European champions but this is a team that loses more often than they win like you know they're everybody's second favorite team and they've played some great rugby and they've had some eye-catching results but you know they're they've got three games left in the ERC they're not going to make the playoffs like they're playing out the string here they've been knocked out of Europe and they've got three games with not an awful lot riding on them because they're outside the top eight they're not going to get in it and Without sounding too harsh about it, like they don't deserve to be in the playoffs because they've lost more league games than they've won. And it's it's very curious to me how a team can look that good at times and then lose more often 
than they win because you know we talk about Lancer being more talented than they are but like Connets to me are more talented than the results that they've got this season but as well Jonathan like if you look at some like so you look at the RDS fixture against Leinster this year they were right in that had played all the rugby one moment the Jack Carty kick I don't know if you remember it just before half time he goes to kick I'm sorry I think I've mentioned this loads and Will's probably sick of it but I've mentioned loads of, it was a 50 meter kick it was a beautiful it was a going for a 50-22 uh, literally five meters out from the Leinster line it goes dead it felt like it was an absolute collapse from Connacht afterwards. The Edinburgh game it was so similar, off to an absolute flyer, playing all the rugby, dropped a few passes, should have been tries, but they were still ahead. And then they just conceded like 50 or 60 points. They conceded 46, I think it was against Lancer, and I think it was 50-something against Edinburgh. Like, you're right, like there's something there. Like that, that a team can play such good rugby going forward, but there must be a lack of discipline or something going on or a lack of belief that they can't stick tight in pressurized moments from a defensive perspective. Like you can see there, there are guys there who are good tacklers who will want to put in a shift for, for Connacht. But for whatever reason, the cohesiveness just falls apart or the discipline falls apart, yellow cards, things like that. At key moments for them, like there's something, you're, you're right. I, I completely agree with you. Sorry, I just, it, 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 it threw by, sorry, just my, my memory just kind of go back to a couple of these big games where you're kind of saying, like there's a reason they're in 10th in the league, like, and they're not worse than four or five of those teams that are ahead of them. They certainly aren't by ability. And I can get Andy Friend's point on that. It's a concentration thing or something that's that's missing. Mm. Well, they have two weeks in South Africa now to maybe, I don't know, enjoy the weather. The, the rugby will be tough, but, uh, you know, to finish up on Enter Luke, you know, they have two weeks in South Africa now as well. Three weeks to go until they play Leicester and Welford Road, which is going to be an absolute belter of a game. Leo Cullen's opted to leave everyone front line at home, Bar Porter and Kelleher. Like, it's an interesting kind of couple of weeks for them. You know, two weeks in South Africa, probably they would much prefer to have had this earlier in the year because like the coaches won't be able to work with the frontline players for a couple of weeks and they'll have one week to prepare for Leicester. Like, what are your thoughts on how they should manage this or, you know, how tricky it could be, you know, being other side of the world with a kind of completely different squad to the, the guys who will go back into battle against Leicester? Really, really tricky timing, isn't it? And a massive, like Welford Road, is one of the it's it's a great stadium. It is a great a great pitch to play on, nice and tight. Leicester are playing great. I mean, could you ask for a better fixture? I don't think we could. I mean, Leinster will be pulling that they're in this position that they've you know won everything pretty much, and they're they're still uh, you know having to go away to what is one of the toughest fixtures in European rugby, uh, particularly now with with the resurgent Le- uh, Leicester. Um, still, I'll never forget those changing rooms. I've had a few, been on the end of a few bad beatings over there in a tiny little changing room. The, I, I felt like they used to, it was one of those places where they used to, I'm pretty sure the groundsman had a hose on the changing room before you arrived there. Everything was wet. Like it was, <laughs> it was freezing. It was a great place to go and play your rugby. It's a real experience. Um, but it's a tough one. And I think what does, what's kind of advantageous to Leinster is that I think they have such an experienced crop of guys who will be used to the two weeks. You know, I, I'm thinking back to, you know, maybe Ireland camps where you have those breaks between, you know, that middle fixture. So you have two games, you know, you have a, you have a fixture and then you have two games, you know, you have two weeks off and then you have the last two games together as well. I think they'll be kind of used to that two weeks. Now, I think you miss out on three or four days training that you'd normally have in a national camp maybe at the end of the first week, you might go maybe a Thursday to Saturday and then come back into camp Sunday night, whatever it is. They don't have that, but they're, they're vastly experienced, the guys that they're leaving at home. And I think they've, they're, they're, they're a crew that'll be able to pull together and will realize the 
the extent of the challenge, I think, that, that Welford Road is going to present and the quality of player that they're coming up against. Um, so I think that they'll be pretty... I think you can trust those guys to stay at home and, and do a good job of the preparation. Um, and I think, look, we'll probably all become pretty used to... The, the one advantage is, is with this, you know, Leo Cullen and his staff, you know, they can operate pretty well, I'd say, on Zoom. So you'd imagine they might be double jobbing with the league guys and probably doing a bit of your video work with the guys at home as well over Zoom or whatever whatever platform they're using. Um, so maybe that's to their advantage a little bit. And I think they'll benefit from the experience in the group, Will. Yeah, very interesting. A couple of weeks, as you say, Leicester is going to be a great challenge. But I'm actually really interested to see how Leicester just get on generally against the African teams. They've been kind of exciting games from the other Irish provinces have gone down there. Um, Munster, then Jonathan, you know, very impressive performance against Exeter. Peter Armani leading from the front was absolutely excellent. You know, setting up a mouthwatering game against Toulouse. You know, what stood out to you about how they kind of got over the line? I think just uh, their sort of abrasiveness, and it was all led by Peter Armani, but there was just a real battle in the uh, in the contact area throughout. They're just monsters, monsters loose forwards, really, uh, really standing up to that, and just. Um, sort of dragging the team the team with them. And then also just, you know, we talked about tens earlier, but just the way that Joey Carberry played as well, because I think that's probably the type of performance that a lot of people have been have been waiting for um from Joey Carberry since he obviously had so many injury problems. But um to get him back to that level, I think as well is going to be massively important uh, for Monster moving forward for the rest of the season. So as much as Peter O'Mahony rightly took the headlines, I think uh They'll be feeling really, really good about the way Carberry played too. Yeah, they're both two, two such good performances, Luke, weren't they? Like oh, Peter Manny, even when he got the man of the match award and all the lads like kind of rubbing his face and rubbing his head in the sidelines was was pretty funny. But yeah, God, he at the breakdown he was immense. Like he really did kind of set the tone for the whole day. Yeah, I actually think he's kind of he, he's been playing very well this year. I really think that. If you like I think probably overshadowed by, you know, Caelan Doris's performances in, in a Lancer jersey and look sometimes Ty Byrne just it's hard to beat him to a man of the match when he's having a big day, isn't it? Um, but I thought they were really good across the park and set the platform. I think O'Donoghue's playing very well. Uh, he looks really solid getting through a mountain of work as well. Um, so you're right. I thought they led. The, they, they certainly led from the front and created a great platform for the likes of Joey Carberry to show what a good rugby player he is. Like He really is a quality rugby player, isn't he? Now, look, whatever my qualms about him playing a 10 and whether that's the best thing for Munster, he, I've always maintained like he's an excellent rugby player. And when you give him time and space, he will punish you, you know, and you give him a platform. He's, he's an excellent player. So it was good to see him, um, you know, a little bit resurgent. There's probably been a bit of pressure on his shoulders. I mean, Healy and look probably to a lesser extent, but Healy certainly, you know, looks like he's really pushing hard for that 10 jersey. So maybe that gives him a little bit of breathing space between him and, him and the, the, the guys who are, you know, I think pushing him hard for that 10 start. I, I'd still be arguing that he shouldn't be there. He should be at 15, but um, he was really good in the weekend. Um, some lovely touches from some other players. I thought Delanda look great finish. He had a big game too. Looks like they'll miss him. Like Fekatoa has got big shoes to fill next year. Um, and the the beautiful pass from Zebo. I mean, that's that's why he's brought back, isn't it? And I think um, I've always said his best part of his game is that handling ability. Like I think he probably could still throw that back in in a normal pass, but hey, that wouldn't be any fun for any of us. Um, so what a pass that was, and uh, what a finish. And I think they a lot of a lot of players had big games. Um, and we probably miss him. I mean, Earl's tackle in the first leg, you know, that try saver. Like, there was lots of big moments for them over the two legs that I think um, they can be very proud of. And I think they've been under pressure for a while now, too. And the coaching thing is 
just not helpful, like kind of bumbling around the background either. So a difficult week for them, I think, has been, you know, things actually look pretty good now. Uh, you know, Roundtree in place and, you know, hopefully a staff incoming with him. Um, you know, a team, you know, not with, they, they were still missing a few pieces and I thought they, they performed really, really well. And Tone Park is still a fortress. Um, the Aviva, I mean, Ed Sheeran looks like he's in the fortress uh, <laughs> for what might be a key game for them. I'm not sure if that was, if that was yeah, what did you, what did you, what, like, how big a blow is that? Like, it's, it's, it's big. I, I don't know. Like, I think they're hard to beat. Like, look, sorry, they beat Ulster with 14 men and like for, you know, vast majority of that game, they're, they're tough to beat there still. I mean, Leinster, I think, seem to have the hoodoo over them. And that's, you no, know, I think that's the exception. They're still hard to beat in, in, in Tom, aren't they? Yeah, Jonathan, it's a massive, it is a massive loss to not be able to play that game in Tom Park. As, as Luke says, it, they kind of rediscover the Tom factor against Exeter and the difference between playing Toulouse there and where they have a good record against them, beating them in two quarterfinals in the last seven or eight years and having to go up to the Aviva where a lot of the Toulouse guys might have been involved, you know, beating Ireland there in the recent past, you know, that, that's a pretty big psychological blow. I think it is because especially it's not like you're taking it to just a random stadium either like Munster it obviously the Ireland players have had good days there in a green jersey but Munster as a team have not had a lot of good days there whenever they've been playing Leinster of late either so it's not going to be a place that collectively has good memories for them as a Munster team and another thing that you would worry about just as well is going to be how many fans can justify making the trip as well? Because, you know, you're talking about the very tail end of a pandemic or right in the middle of, you know, what's being termed a cost of living crisis. And if you're looking at, instead of going down the road to Limerick to watch the game, having to think about petrol, diesel costs to get the Dublin hotel costs in Dublin. And if you have a sort of, poultry crowd rattling around the Aviva it's going to be nothing like what it would have been having a big crowd in Thomond and we all saw at the weekend it really looked like that was you know Thomond of old it was looked like it was back to the days that we all think of when we think of that stadium in European rugby so I think it could really take away from the occasion and I think you know the happiest um the happiest people about this are going to be Toulouse, you're right, because they're going to think that they have a much, much better chance um, in the Aviva than they would at Thilmond. Yeah, because I know even though they ended up beating Ulster with a late try, but like I really think that atmosphere up in Ravenhill, which I'd say is, I think is similar enough to the Thilmond factor, like did really look like it play, played a part. And just as Luke mentioned that pass from Simon Zebo, I was I was very pleased to see him have a nice moment because he's had some rotten luck this season. You know, you know, he was in the Ireland camp in November, didn't play a minute, so it was just, you know, holding tackle bags. Then went to South Africa, got COVID, had to stay there extra long, came back against Ulster, got sent off after about 10 minutes. You know, then got a stomach bug before the first leg and had to pull out of the starting team. So he, he's, he's been very unlucky. It was always nice to see him have a nice moment. Uh, and, you know, that lovely pass, as Luke said. So Luke, just before we finish up, Luke, you know, last 16, two legs for the first time. Was it a success overall? I, I certainly really enjoyed it. I thought, like, the way even the Harlequins-Montpellier game, it came down to one conversion. And, you know, the Ulster-Toulouse game, similarly, uh, you know, obviously there was a couple of games where the first leg was kind of one-sided bit of dead rubbers there, but you're always going to have that. So I think overall, I certainly really enjoyed it. What did you think? So you're, you agree with me now is that you're, you're in, you're all in on the, on the two legs. I was never <laughs> out to be fair. Uh, you were, you were on once you were 
almost over the fence into the no camp. Uh, look, I thought it was really, I thought it was great. Like, I do think, you know, there's some fixtures that, you know, it's really hard to to overcome a team like Leinster over two legs. But I think that, do you know what? It's really hard to overcome to lose over two legs. And Ulster almost did that, you know? Um, so it, it's just hard. Some of these away stadiums are so hard to go to. Like, I don't even think Munster were in great form and didn't have a full complement. But like, do you know what I mean? They still, that extra team is still strong. I know it's not as strong as it was probably, pretty, you know, in the last couple of years maybe, but still a very good team, even though they're missing one or two bodies. And I think um, that was another example of a home fixture in the second leg and just having enough to, to, to go and get the win and, and, and get through, um, you know, when they're not playing that well, being able to lift the standards on a, on a big second leg. So, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I think it's a brilliant addition. I thought it brought excellent excitement in some of the fixtures. Um, you mentioned the, the the Harlequins one. I mean, the, I mean exactly. Like it comes down to this one moment. I mean, they beat them by thirteen points in the in the second leg, but still lose out by a point. Just not enough to get over the line. So, uh, I thought it was uh, it was fascinating and engaging. I think the competition is needed something like this, and I thought it delivered. And um, yeah, I hope to keep it. Yeah, John, we definitely had John before when we were kind of talking about the future. I think of the Champions Cup and how maybe it had lost some of its luster. Certainly think last weekend did did kind of make a mark. You know, people were excited about second legs and permutations and the home and away element of it. Like, I was just kind of thinking there, is there any way to have it in the quarters as well or the semis potentially? But it's <laughs> so congested. Really all in, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I, oh, yeah. Go back to like the old soccer European Cup where it's a straight knockout two legs from the start. But I think, you know, clubs would lose out too many home games if that was the case. But it was, yeah. Like, what, what was your kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, because I really didn't like the idea at the start and even also like, got clear, probably. <laughs> well yeah exactly yeah uh ulster certainly would have liked it to be one leg obviously um but didn't like it at the start and i really did think that there was a potential for it to be a bit of a disaster because i thought there were going to be you know you look back at the last 16 ties last year and so many of them were very one-sided that you didn't you wouldn't have wanted um, a second leg in so many of those games last year, but it just didn't work out that way at all. Like it was just a really compelling weekend. Obviously, you know, you look at the small margins in so many of the games, like Ulster being Ulster to lose being the perfect example of you know one point between ninety nine shared between the two teams being the difference. But the only thing that I will say is I think you have to look at it as a whole. So you can't say. Oh, the, the last 16 fortnight was great, so it's a success because you have to look at it as what it's meant for the pool stages as well. So I think personally, I like I don't like the four-game pool stage. And this two-legged last 16 has sort of created the four-game pool stage, if you like. So if I'm looking at it, like I probably still would prefer like six pool games. I think that gives you a better format because the format of the pool stages, I still don't think really works with the whole playing different teams. And, you know, people just haven't grasped that, I don't think, and haven't uh, haven't warmed to that. Uh, but I have to admit that the uh, the two-legged in isolation was much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what format they ended up you know, end up kind of giving us next year because I think there's still room for scope and room for improvement, as you say. But for now, we're all looking forward to the quarterfinals. Jonathan, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, Will. Thank you.
That's all we have time from the left wing. We will have another podcast later on in the week as Sinead Kassan looks ahead to Ireland's latest Women's Six Nations game against England. And then myself and Luke will be back next week to review all the latest rugby news. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.